right. Good morning, Chapel Hill. Thank you for your prayers for uh, the elder team and for so many different um, aspects of, of what happens, what God's doing at this church. He is very active in the ministry of Chapel Hill Church right now. This is an incredible season for us. It really is. And it's a delight to be a part of. And I do want to cover one more thing that is ministry related before we get into this morning's message. And it's simply this. Um, the, the last few years have revealed many things about church in general, um, including how and why our ministries exist what their function and purpose is. And over the last two years, there's a ministry team that is formed here that is committed to helping Chapel Hill Church meet its God-given potential and see its vision fulfilled. And this team that's formed is called the E-Team. And the E stands for Equipping, Empowering, and Encouraging. Now, the E-Team's been working diligently to assess the current state of the ministries here at Chapel Hill Church, all the different things that we do, the different things that we're involved in, the different things we provide for the church, um, and they provide support and training and structure for ministry leaders and for the ministries themselves. And their goal is to help us become more effective and more efficient in making disciples here, disciples of Jesus, who make other disciples in turn. So, Betsy Beach... Lori Oliver Boyd, Cheryl Galazuski, and for a while, Leah Murphy have all contributed a great deal of time and prayer and energy and expertise to see our ministries receive the equipping and empowering and encouragement that they deserve. And through trainings, resources, and direct relational support, our ministries are growing. There are things happening, and it's really exciting to see. Um, they're connecting to each other. They're having a greater impact in how they carry out the vision of this church. And so one of the E-team's goals right now is to assess the current level of understanding that we have as a church when it comes to the purpose of our ministries. And so the team would like your assistance with that. We need your feedback. And we thought that the most effective way to get this feedback would be to do a quick survey where we have your attention right here on a Sunday morning, okay? So get your phones out. On the screen, you're going to see a QR code. And on your bulletin as well, printed right there on the bulletin, is a QR code that'll take you to a very brief survey, okay? And we also have paper versions of this in your bulletin. If you want to go old, old school and do the paper version, but you don't have a pen, just put your hand up. Our ushers have got a bunch of pens, and they'll give you a pen so you can go ahead and do that. Um, and then you can leave that paper in one of the black boxes where we leave our offering on the way out. You can take care of that. So we're just looking for brief responses to these two questions that are on that survey. What is your understanding of the purpose of the ministries of Chapel Hill Church? And I'm not, not looking for you to prove to me that, you know, like Phil Emery, you're in seminary right now, and so you've got the perfect answer to this. I want your understanding of it. How do you see the purpose of our ministries here? And then number two, what is your understanding of your personal role in the ministries of Chapel Hill Church? And that's going to help us as a team to, to figure things out a little bit more in terms of where we are as a church in our understanding, and where can we go? How can we help carry out our vision here um, to, to see this generation move from culture to kingdom and do this through our ministries. So if also, if this brief uh, introduction to the E-team has kind of sparked something in you and you're thinking, I'd like to be a part of that, I'd like to help figure that out, um, please feel free to, to step forward and, and jump into the conversation. 
You can talk to me, or if you know one of the names that I mentioned who's on the, the E-team, talk to that person, but let us know that you love to be a part of that conversation. So take a few minutes, um, all of you, I would encourage you just take a few minutes, answer these two questions. You can do it while I'm getting started on the message here. That's totally fine. I will not just think you're ignoring me. Um, this will be really helpful. So do that. Um, finish the survey online or finish filling it out and dropping it at the back. Um, and we will carry on with what we're doing as far as a message this morning, all right? Okay, so Bibles, get them out, open up your phone, Bible apps um, when you're done with the survey. Uh, if you need a Bible to follow along in, just put your hand up. Our ushers also have Bibles that they're bringing around, and you can grab one of those Bibles to follow along with this morning if you need to. Okay, um, one of my favorite parts of my job is the amount of learning that I get to do. Learning something that I really enjoy, um, in spite of what my 15-year-old self might have said about learning. It's funny, I, I didn't do well academically in high school or in my first year of college. I really struggled. At that point, I would not have been able to honestly say that I enjoy learning. But I do now. In fact, the day that I truly surrendered my life to Jesus is the day I really began to love learning. And I, I don't mean the, the day that I prayed the salvation prayer when I was nine years old. I mean the day that I got down on my knees in a state of brokenness and fully and totally surrendered myself to God. She said, God, my life's yours. You do with it what you want to do with it. It's all yours. And it was then that I found a reason to love learning. And I really do. When Jesus started his ministry, he invited people to join him. He said to the 12 disciples and to many more, he said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, if we slow down and really hear Jesus, there are a few things that we can take away from this invitation that he put in front of us. First of all, Jesus said, follow me. Now, that means a lot. Following Jesus means that I'm not following myself anymore. I am not my own guide. I do not follow my mind, my desires, my will. Now it's his will, not mine. It's his way, not mine. It's his authority, his priorities, his values, his perspective, his, not mine. I choose to surrender to him and to his will. And then he said here, and I will make you. Here's the next act of surrender. Jesus said that he would work on us. He would. He'll do the transforming. He offers his power to redeem us, to transform us into people who more and more reflect the image of the one that we were, in whose image we were created. God's image. I surrender to his work in my life. No matter how much I do to improve myself, nothing that I do will ever be able to compare to what he can do in me. And so does that mean I just quit trying to improve myself? Well, of course not. God gives us more than enough that we can do to conform to his will throughout our lives. We've always got things that we can be working on, but we do acknowledge that whatever we're doing in the area of self-improvement, we're doing it according to what he's asking us to do, and the power behind all of that effort is his power. 
not just ours. And through the presence and power of the Holy Spirit, this work that Jesus is doing in our lives is ongoing. It never ends, and it is deeply transforming. And then finally, the third part of the invitation from Jesus was a statement about our ultimate purpose. Jesus stated that his mission was fishing, but not for walleye. He would fish for people. He would draw people like you and me to himself, and he would create an entire nation, a kingdom, an army, a people who would join him in pointing others to him. Following Jesus, being transformed by Jesus, and joining Jesus in his mission requires our full surrender to him. And it requires us to be learners, to be students. In fact, when we identify ourselves as disciples of Jesus, we're stating that we are students of Jesus. He is our teacher. He is our rabbi. We are his students his disciples. He'll teach us his will. He'll transform us. He'll guide us into many opportunities to guide, to guide others into a flourishing and contagious relationship with him. And for a while now, we've been digging into the subject of prayer. Prayer is essential in the life of a disciple of Jesus. Prayer has tremendous value in deepening and maintaining our union with God, our Father, we talk to him, we listen to him, and we share with him our thoughts, emotions, values, perspective, and priorities. All that shared with him in that union, but as we've just been talking about, we are students in that, students of Jesus Christ. And in that context, that church makes us students of prayer. As students of Jesus, we are constantly growing in the way that we reflect the image of Jesus. And this side of heaven, we will never be just like Jesus. We're not going to be perfect and all-powerful and everything that he is. But I believe that his desire is for us to become more and more like him throughout our entire lives. He redeems us. He is redeeming us. He will redeem us saving us to live out our salvation as we're being transformed in a never-ending process for our entire lives. Growth is our new way of living. Learning is our new way of living. Transformation is a lifelong taste of what Jesus can do in absolutely anyone's life. Growing as followers of Jesus means that we grow in our union with him. Growing in that union means that we grow in prayer, constantly, it becomes our goal to grow as people who pray, entering deeper into that union with God. Now, beyond strengthening our union with our Father, with His Son and His Spirit, prayer is also something that we do for others. We connect the lives and needs of others to the one who can meet those needs and transform those lives. We celebrate this privilege every week as we pray for each other. Our church prayer letter gives, us fo gives focus to our prayers. And like we did this week with the Gebhard family, we often get to celebrate together what God does in response to those prayers. Hearing that their baby boy's cardiologist called Seth's turnaround remarkable, 
and he said that he never sees this happen is a reason to celebrate God's power and to celebrate the privilege that it is to come alongside each other in prayer. Hearing that You understand why this is getting to me in just a second. Hearing that Randy Thiel is cancer-free is a reason to celebrate. Seeing the significance of that yesterday when his son was married was tremendous. To have that load off his shoulders as he went into an, an awesome day of celebration yesterday. It was a beautiful wedding. And prayer is even beneficial for ourselves. We're allowed to, in fact, we're invited to, and we're commanded to ask for ourselves. So when we consider that prayer is for God, it's for others, and it's even for ourselves, church, we have to consider the fact that prayer is something worth giving our attention and energy to. Take a minute to think about all the things that we put effort, in, put effort into for our own sake. What do we do for our own growth? For example, we work hard at developing in our careers because of all the ways that it's going to benefit us if we do. I have another conference coming up this week that's going to help me grow and develop in how I can better serve this church and the things that we're facing all these days, attending this conference is going to be a benefit to my career. Now think personally. We learn new skills. We research and practice new hobbies and new recreational activities. And please don't get me started on the pickleball craze. I've seen firsthand the personal benefit that came for a group of seniors who could defeat my athletic teenage boys on the pickleball court. <laughs> Generations are pouring themselves into developing this new skill, and it has legitimate benefits. Across the board, we're committed to our health and welfare in new ways all the time. Well, if prayer has such a great benefit to us, to others, and to our relationship with our creator, which is a forever thing, doesn't it make sense that we would put intentional effort into growing in this area? It does to me. But I'm not going to stand up here and state that I've mastered this and I'm such a great model of a prayer warrior. I'm preaching to the mirror again, asking myself what it will take to make prayer higher priority in my life. And where I currently stand is making a statement to myself that all of you get to listen in on, that I need to see myself as a student of prayer. As a student of Jesus who modeled perfectly for me what it means to live in union with God, I need to set the Lord always before me. Remember going way back to the first sermon in this series? I need to set the Lord always before me. Pursuing my union with God as Jesus pursued his union with his Father has to become a higher priority for me. And I dare say that maybe that's true for all of us. So let's at least consider that seeing ourselves as students of prayer 
just might do us some good. Where then does one start as a student of prayer? Well, obviously we need to start by finding a teacher. And that search is about as easy as it can possibly get. So turn to Luke chapter 11. Here is the answer to the question of finding a teacher to help us know how to pray. Uh, We don't have to look very far. This is Luke 11, verses 1 to 13. Now Jesus was praying in a certain place, and when he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. And he, Jesus, said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread and forgive us our sins, for we ourselves forgive everyone who is indebted to us and lead us not into temptation. And he said to them, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight And say to him, friend, lend me three loaves, for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing to set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though, he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend. Yet because of his impudence, his persistence, he will rise And give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receives. And the one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, a few weeks ago, Peter Herzog talked about this passage and and focused us on the word impudence, um, which was great. He talked about us being persistent askers. That was one of the things that Jesus taught his followers about prayer, but Look at a few more aspects of what happens here, and and I want to ask you to keep Peter and his family in your prayers. Um, His grandmother passed away this week, so our hearts are heavy for you, Peter. First of all, the very concept of being students of prayer began even before Jesus taught his disciples here in Luke 11. Apparently, John the Baptist had also been teaching his disciples how to pray. And before they asked this question of Jesus, they had already seen Jesus prioritizing prayer. Jesus had been off praying by himself when they were prompted to ask him to be their teacher. Jesus' response was amazing. First of all, he gave them a place to start, a formula, if you will. He said, when you pray, say... And on he went to give them a bit of a script. But we know, of course, that Jesus didn't mean just to literally repeat those words and you're set. It's all good. Later, Jesus would, as we know, pray again at some point, as in many, many points. And we have some of that recorded for us as well. And John 17 is a classic example of a prayer of Jesus. There we see Jesus praying, and it's an amazing prayer for his disciples 
for us and for much more. We see him praying in the garden before his crucifixion. Jesus would demonstrate for his disciples, that includes us, a prayer life that we can learn an awful lot from. Not a repetitive process or ritual, but a process rooted in a framework that Jesus gave his disciples in Luke 11. And Jesus' answer to their question included a story. This was the persistence lesson. And so we see Jesus teaching with a model and also with some concepts, something more abstract to help his disciples find their way as students of prayer. So here's my question for the mirror. Have I ever actually asked Jesus to teach me to pray? This passage in Luke 11 isn't just about the answer that Jesus gave his disciples. It's also about the question that they asked him. So as students of prayer, let's invite Jesus to be our teacher. Ask for yourself. I'm I'm pretty sure he's going to listen and respond. Why wouldn't he? Ask with confidence. Ask him to bring new life to your union with him through prayer. Ask him to show you what it means to be an intercessor for others. Ask him what he wants to show you about yourself and how to pray for yourself. We have a teacher. And don't stop there. While you're talking to him about this, Will you please ask him to teach this church how to pray? I think he'll honor that request from his people. So besides finding a teacher, which we've established is a very easy thing to do, the next thing we need to do as students of prayer is to find examples. God didn't leave us without examples of how to pray, and there are two major categories of examples that I want to highlight for you in the next few minutes here. The first category of examples can be found in the Bible. Again, God is making it easy for us. The enemy is making it seem like an impossibility that we'll never have a vibrant prayer life. But he is known, after all, as the deceiver. This is one of those areas where we can fight back Examples of people who pray and how they do it are plentiful. Now, the list of biblical examples is extensive. Let me suggest something to make this easier than me just giving you this massive list right now. BibleGateway.com is a resource that you've heard me mention before, and I simply went to their site, clicked on the search uh, spot on there, and entered the word pray. Had it searched the Bible for the word pray, and it came up with all the uses of the word pray, or prayer, or prayed, and so on, and all of the different references that are used in the Bible. Now, what made this easier is that when a prayer is recorded in the Bible, there's a heading that comes up in this search, and you can zone in on a specific prayer. Now, the journey through the Old Testament prayers is quite fascinating. Prayers by Hannah, David, Solomon, Hezekiah, Jehoshaphat, Nehemiah, Moses, Jeremiah, Daniel, Jonah, and Habakkuk, all recorded in the Bible for us. And for some of them, like David, there are multiple examples. Then it takes you through the New Testament to see prayers from Jesus, from Paul, from the New Testament church, among others. We are not lacking biblical examples of praying. It's right there for us. 
But we've been given some guidance beyond that from examples that didn't necessarily make it in the Bible. Like, for example, my mom. I just spent the last week with my mom and dad in Canada. It was not an easy week. Ended with my mom back in the hospital and facing the hard reality that her life is drawing to a close. It was really hard seeing her suffer like this. I mean, her body is wearing out. She's 85, so it's not exactly a shocking development. She knows exactly where she's going and who she's going to be with. She's always talked openly about how much she's looking forward to seeing Jesus face to face. One of the things I'm going to miss about her very, very much is hearing her remind me, as she always does, that she is praying for me and for every member of my family every single day. And I know she means that when she says it. My parents have been tremendous examples for me of how to pray. I learned from them. Who are your examples? Who are you looking to that models this for you? I know we all have them. Who can we learn from and how can we be intentional about doing that, about learning from them? As a student of prayer, I need to find a teacher, I need to find examples, role models, and there's one more thing that I'll mention as I close. We need to find our voice. Prayer is a deeply personal experience. It was never intended to be a matter of repeating what someone else says or does. It's meant to be our own personal, intimate experience with God. Jesus sent us to a destination in prayer. That destination is deep down at the very core of who we are. It's the place where we connect with God, spirit to spirit. Planning our growth in this is essential. We have to be intentional about reaching that personal place with God. That's going to involve some effort at removing distractions. It's going to involve some effort in making time to be alone and get there with God. It's going to take some effort getting to that place where it's the real us connecting with the real God. This is not about performance. This is about engaging our minds, engaging our emotions, engaging our wills to connect with God on a spirit level. We are all learners. We are all disciples when it comes to prayer. And let me encourage you with this. I honestly believe that God needs us in this way. He needs my voice. He needs your voice in his eternal conversation with his creation. He needs to hear from us. He needs us to listen to him, both personally and as his people. 
We were created for union with him. And he wouldn't have created us if he didn't need us, if he didn't want us. There has to be a deep desire and purpose behind him creating us. So church, convince yourself that prayer is important. Convince yourself that God is standing at the door of your life waiting to be invited to come in and share life with you. And that door that needs to be opened, it's prayer. Make that your goal. Chapel Hill lets every one of us commit to being students of prayer. And watch what God does with this. So let's take a moment now and talk to him. You pray with me. And as we start this, I just invite you to make this personal with him. Go to that place, go to that deep place inside. And as your spirit connects with God, just say, God, teach me to pray. Show me examples. And help me find my voice with you. Father, the fact, just the fact that you have invited us to converse with you, to be in union with you, speak to you, listen to you, share with you, to walk with you, to be students, disciples, learners, followers of Jesus Christ. It's absolutely remarkable that you consider us that valuable. The fact that you are pursuing us every moment of every day, no matter what we're doing, no matter how far we're going astray, is remarkable. Your love for us is beyond belief. So Father, I ask that in in an expression of our desire to have the kind of union with you that you desire to have with us, I ask that you would make us all, every single one of us, myself included, students of prayer. To realize that there's a lot for us to learn from. You have provided so much for us to equip us to pray. So God, I pray for us as individuals, I pray for us as a church, that we would step forward in this, that we would see progress and growth and maturity in our lives, that we would see ourselves, that we would see Chapel Hill Church enter into a deeper, more intimate union with you than we ever have before. Give us the wisdom to just open that door through prayer and let you in and surrender fully to what it is you want to do in our lives. Thank you for your great love for us. Thank you for hearing our prayers, for answering our prayers. We love you for who you are. You are our Father. You are our God. You are our King. You are our friend. And we pray these things in the name of
the one whose disciples we are in the name of Jesus Christ, your son. Amen. Would you please stand and join us in singing?